Hey, Redeem family, thank you so much for joining us for Redeem Online this weekend. Hey, it's the end of October, which means Christmas is coming. And so many of you have been asking, yes, we are planning a Thanksgiving and a Christmas service. And so you'll be looking for an announcement on that and we'll be giving details. And also some people have been asking about an update on the building. We are moving forward. We just had one document at closing that we had to figure out. And so we are figuring that out, but we are moving forward. And our goal is to at least have that Thanksgiving service and Christmas service in our new building in some way. So hang on tight. I know it's been a while, but we are moving forward and it's just working out the details. But as I was thinking about Christmas, I was thinking about, you know, we are in the season where my son's Christmas is a whole nother level. When they were young, we didn't really have to worry about what to get them. They just played with the uh, wrapping paper and the boxes. That was literally all that mattered to them. But now we are in the depths of online shopping and Target catalog and Amazon where we gotta put on the timer because they will spend all day looking for what they want for Christmas. And it's a pivotal time where you begin to think through how do you raise kids during the Christmas season? And so it brought me back to the 1990s when all I wanted was this one thing and that one thing was the original Game Boy. I don't know if any of you had it, but I was so stoked about getting the original Game Boy. And I remember asking my mom over and over again, can I just get the Game Boy? That's all I wanted. Well, this was a time where my sister and I had just been allowed to be at home by ourselves. And so we knew one of these days that we had about a half an hour window, not very tight or not very long, but just enough to go searching for our presence. And I, this was the year of the Game Boy for me. That's all I wanted to do was find that Game Boy. And so we built a plan. And I remember as my mom was leaving out the doors, I had the sweaty palms. I was like, we are doing this thing. And we were like CSI style. We were figuring out how to not leave our DNA on anything. And we were going to sneak around the house. And we had a game plan on exactly what we were going to look for. And my mom hid the presence in her closet. Parents, little note, if your kids are at the age where they're going to look for their presents, maybe don't do it in your closet because it was the first place that we looked. And there was my Game Boy. And I remember looking at my Game Boy and feeling this level of like, this was the first time that I actually felt greed. It was like, this is the greatest day of my life. But then when we were done, I remember feeling this level of not feeling content. I remember sitting in my bed thinking of like, oh man, but I also asked for two games and they weren't in there. Is she gonna bring me those two games? Is she gonna give me those, those games for Christmas? Of course, you don't have to guess, but my sister and I weren't as clever as we thought. We didn't put stuff back and we got caught with uh, finding our presents. And so that was a little bit of an awkward Christmas, but we worked through it and I did get my original Game Boy. And so this was my first time ever feeling this level of not feeling content. I remember it so vividly as a seven or eight year old, I forget what I was. And as I study scripture, I realize how many times the Lord calls us to this contentment. He's calling us to contentment and I wanna dig into what that means today. Today, we're going to talk about our call to be content and how it helps us as individuals and how it's critical to our whole body. And so this week in the Rooted series, uh, you're going to see in the study that this topic is about God's view on money. 
And this is one of those topics that you don't hear that much from stage. Or if you do hear from stage, it's probably gonna have an offering ask at the end attached to it. I promise you it will not have that today. But it's so important that if you are doing the Rooted series with us, I really, really encourage you to dig in deep on this, God's view for money, because they lay it out so perfectly scripturally on how God views money as a whole. And so I want you to dig in on that. But I want to start at the baseline. And I want to start with this. What's God's view on us just being content? And so today we are going to dig into 1 Timothy 6. So if you have your Bibles, you can open it up to that. And I want to set the stage first on this, uh, this letter as a whole. Paul is writing to Timothy. And Timothy, of course, is on one of Paul's teams. And, and Paul met uh, Timothy's family and was so impressed with Timothy's passion and love for God that he put this young man on his team. And Paul deeply loved Timothy and he really mentored him. And so as he was, as he was digging into uh, to Timothy's life and building Timothy up, this is a book that's written to Timothy as Paul is sending him out. And Timothy's job at the time was almost like this missionary for churches, going into churches and helping clean them up or helping build them up. And so Paul is sending Timothy to a church in Ephesus, and there are a couple things that are really happening in this church. The first thing that's happening is that there's false teachers, and that's important. There were people that were not sharing the good news in the right way, and those false teachers Number two, we're trying to get financial gain and power from their teaching. A big no-no if you ever read the scriptures. And number three, there were people that were actually not only sitting under these false teachers that were trying to gain power and money, but then they were also circumventing the teachers as well. And they were trying to, to run the church themselves. And then four, there were people that were entering the religious community for social power. There were people that were wanting social status in the religious community. And so what we see is that it was a mess. Like, like any church that you're gonna join, there is some messy things, but this was a mess. And so this was a little bit of good luck, Timothy. But Paul is writing this letter to help him, Timothy, fulfill this mission of cleaning up this church and setting it on the right path the way that God intended the church to interact with each other. And so Paul is writing this and it's filled with practical stuff for Timothy. And so what we find is that this is a church that needs more reform before there's revival. And I think that's the season that we've been in as a church as well, in a good way. I think that the American church is in a time of reform before the revival. And I can see it so much. God's going to want us to reform. They want us to go deep. They want us to, he wants us to understand how we disciple people before he brings people into the body. And so this is a church where Timothy's going in to reform it. And so as we jump in to chapter six, we see this, that the first part is directed at teachers. This is the false teachers. And the reason I want to bring this up is because I want all of us to put uh, yourselves in, in those shoes. Because when we were called into, uh, into following Jesus to be Jesus followers, we were all called into full-time ministry. It's so important for us to understand. Oftentimes we look at full-time ministries 
just as the person who is paid by the church or the pastor or the team. And I want to debunk that thinking. All of us are called into full-time ministry. All of us hopefully will have a time to share the good news with people. All of us at one time will help teach people the way of Jesus. And so when we become kingdom people, this is what we do. And so I want us to listen to this as a community. Because what it's going to sum up in short is this. We are called to do nothing in this faith journey for selfish gain. And that's so important for us to understand. We are to do nothing in this faith journey for selfish gain. And again, this first part is addressing to the teachers, but I really want to put yourself in those shoes as anyone who interacts with one another. So let's start at 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 6. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ into godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malice, talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt minds who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Unhealthy people in unhealthy churches have this problem. They like to stir up controversy. They like a little drama in their life. You know, when you think about church, it doesn't take a little bit, it doesn't take more than a little bit of gossip, a little bit of someone trying to control too much, that it really starts to make things unhealthy. And we see that Paul is saying that the way that we're supposed to live to the sound doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ should not lead us to these four things, right? The main points here are envy, strife, slander or malice talk, and evil suspicion. And this is what was happening in the church then. And can I say it? It has the potential of happening in the church now. And Paul is writing Timothy because he knows it's so critical for him to correct this. Because if we look at anywhere where people are living their faith on a selfish gain, it just does not work. And when that happens, we find this. We find envy and strife and evil suspicions and slander and malice talk. And it affects not just the individual doing it, but it will infect the whole community. And we see that God is not a fan of this. Useless disturbances and useless arguments. To live content with ourselves and with others, we are called to a community to turn envy into unity, to turn strife into peace, to turn, stri- uh, to turn uh, malice into encouragement, and to turn evil suspicion into thinking the best about others. And it's so important that we understand that, that the church is meant to look a lot more like the body of Christ, the living body of Jesus Christ, than a homeowner's association. Whenever I think about these words, I think of a homeowner's association. If there are any presidents of a homeowner's association listening right now, I am sorry. But these are words that I often hear when it comes to these kinds of social uh, uh, communities. And so one of the things that I wanna say is that if we are looking more like with envy and strife and evil suspicion than the living active body of Christ, we are missing it because it's selfish gain that we are thinking about. 
And so this is what we have to do. And one of the things that is important is that does not mean that we shy away from tough conversations. Have you ever been a part of a family that does that? You know, there's dysfunction in that, right? There's dysfunction in the, the ones that argue all the time and there's dysfunctions in the ones and the families that never talk about anything hard and you see that. That's not what Paul's saying here. Part of our spiritual maturity process is simply this. It's a journey of all of us reaching contentment. And so throwing away the needs of our selfish desires and growing as mature believers to make other mature believers. And so when we look at verse five and six again, it says this, and constant friction between people of corrupt minds who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain, but godliness with contentment is great gain. You know, how can all of this friction be stirred up when we're not pursuing godliness and contentment? That's what Paul's saying here. You know, right now, there's small ways that this could come. People, when they, they think about what they're going to wear to church or they complain about what other people are wearing to church, you know, a position in the church or if the pastor knows you, you know, there's also this social status within the church, how many people have the most friends and you see the dynamics of that. And all of this is stuff that we can be tempted on. But Paul is going to tell us in verse 7 and 8 how we fight such things. So 1 Timothy 6, 7 through 8. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. You know, verse 7 is like this basic understanding of the human condition. Anytime we don't feel content, I want us to go back to this. Greed, when greed starts to stir up in our lives, we should go back to verse 7. The love of money or security or social status really is, it doesn't matter when you read this. Because if we reflect on this, you, were brought, you brought nothing into this world and you can take nothing out of it. You know, how does that help frame our minds? Well, for me, it helps us to understand that it all belongs to God. All of us are in the same boat. No matter which, where you're at in your journey, we're all in the same boat. We came into the world with nothing and we leave this world with nothing. And so it all, in the in-between, it all belongs to God. And verse 8 is telling us this. If we have food and clothing, let's be content with that. You know, I'm going to throw up this picture of the Maslow's hierarchy of needs chart. I'm sure most people have seen this. And what's interesting is that when you look at this chart, Paul is telling us that on this chart, at the very bottom, that's what contentment looks like. The basic needs are good enough for us to be content. Food and clothing are good enough. You know, of course, I would make the argument that if Paul was writing that today, that our chart would look a little bit more like this. Let's, we'll throw that up. And this is the Maslow Hierarchy of Needs chart uh, in 2021 with Wi-Fi and battery life being absolutely the most important. You know, of, of course, that's not true. But, you know, my buddy and I were actually talking about how desperate we're all going to be when the internet goes down. So that's one thing that that's not what I'm saying. But as we look at a bot as a body and as individuals to come to a place of contentment, of gratitude, of thankfulness, 
we have to be so focused on even the small things. And that's what Paul's saying, is that even at the bottom, the basic needs, if we simply have that, we should be content. So let's jump into verse 9 and 10 to focus more on this contentment. It says, Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You know, a couple things that I want to point out here. Notice that he says, want to get rich. That doesn't mean that working hard and gaining wealth are bad, but it's that desire, that desire to really want to be rich. And Paul is going to lean on the desire part. And we see that, right? Jesus leaned on the desire part. You know, he, he had, us follow, he had uh, everyone follow all the religious practices of the day, but he challenges them on the desire of the heart. And so in verse 10, we're going to look at the love of money. Money in and of itself is not bad, but it's where it is on the deep desire for us. Is it equal or even greater than our desire for God and our need for God? Contentnessness, which I don't think is a word, but I wrote it down. Contentnessness is really this, focusing on God's sufficiency over self-sufficiency. You know, this is a struggle that we find ourselves in today. You know, of course, we want to work hard. We want to have a job. We want to take care of our families. But there's a subtle and simple yet profound shift from self-sufficiency to God-sufficiency. And that's what Paul is trying to say here. Because here it is. If we have a love of money, it is idolatry. And one thing that I know is that God hates, hates, hates idolatry. It's so critical for us to understand that when we simply want money or we put money in a place, we think about money, we think about how money provides the security, we are setting our hearts on love of money over God as the provider of money. And that's idolatry. And it's so important that we root that out. Now, the second thing that I notice is that as we go through the rooted series, we look at verse 10 and it's the word is the, the root. And it says right here that it's, it is a root of all kinds of evil. You know, a wise man once told me that if you want to look at all the challenges in the world, you can always sum it up by this, money. You know, that's one of the things that's so hard is that there's so many things that are challenging the world and it's really people's desire for money. And often when bad things happen, we have to remember that it can be a root for all kinds of evil. And so as we go back to verse 4, sometimes money can cause envy and strife and slander and evil suspicion. But our root is this. Our root is faith. And so as we cut out the rotten roots, and that's what we're trying to do, we have to cut out the rotten roots so that our faith roots go deeper. And one of those roots can be a love of money. And if we go back, that can be a very thick root that we have to root out. But we can only have one root and they can't coexist. You know, Matthew 6, 24 tells us this, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. It's right there. We cannot serve both. 
We cannot serve both God and money. Our root is faith. And as we want it to go deeper and get more firm, we are unable to have other roots in there. But the root of the love of money is shallow. And when the storms come, I'm telling you, it can blow away. But if our root is faith, it goes deep and firm and holds us there. So as we work on being content, we have to root out all the nasty things that aren't of God. And we look then at this question. So what is God calling us to do? And so we look simply at uh, 1 Timothy 6, 11. It says this, But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. What does contentment look like? It's simply this. It calls us to flee from all of this. But not only does it say to flee, but it also says to pursue. Things that have eternal nature, we are supposed to pursue. And as we build up this faith route, it's us fleeing away from it and pursuing the things that are good. We don't just flee, we actually pursue. And content people pursue things of an eternal nature. You know, we have gotten this wrong. If Sometimes we just focus on pulling out the root and the nasty stuff and we focus on pulling out all the nasty stuff and we're not focused on people that are rooted in faith are also pursuing things of an eternal nature because we root out bad things, yes, but we also grow good things. And this is what my challenge is for us. You know, I was thinking about this. Imagine if at our Thanksgiving dinner, the normal stuff that we talk about was not what we talked about. So we don't talk about things like successes for the year, and we don't talk about jobs, and we don't talk about money, and and we don't talk about politics, but instead, we're like, whoa, I feel like I'm growing in love like never before. Or maybe it's like, look at how God has built up my endurance over 2021. Or you know what I've been thinking a lot about lately is how could I grow in gentleness? Those aren't things that we normally talk about, but that's what Jesus is, or that's what Paul's writing to, to Timothy here. And he's saying that we not only flee, have people flee from that, but we pursue things of eternal nature. And that's how we reach contentment. Now at the end, it skips down to uh, 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. It says this, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so they may take hold of the life that is truly life. It may not feel like this to you, but if we take the long view, if we kind of go up 30,000 feet and we look at the whole world, all of us are rich. We, 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 we really do hold, compared to the rest of the world, we are this. And so it tells us not to be arrogant and to not put our hope in our wealth, but to put our hope in God. He commands us to do that, <clears throat> who deeply, richly provides for us for everything, for our enjoyment. It's a good thing. 
But what does that mean? It starts first with gratitude and thankfulness that God has provided that. And that is our first command for us. We know that everything was given for our enjoyment. And so we come with grateful, thankful hearts. But there's also a second command here. And that's to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. God simply does this. He gives us things and riches so that he can work through us to advance the kingdom. That's what we are. We came to this world with nothing. We leave with nothing. God gives us everything that we have and he does it to go through us to advance the kingdom. And that's how we are to be made up. That's how we are supposed to live. That's the command on our life. And I love our church for this because I think we do this. But let's keep doing it more and more because that is the command. But there's also a promise in here. And I love the promise because it says, not only do we lay treasures for the coming age. Again, remember, we are came to this world with nothing. We leave with nothing. But there is a coming age. And we are laying treasures in that coming age. But also that we would have life that is truly life. And I don't know about you, but that's what I want. A life that is truly life. Contentment is this. A life that is truly life. Think about that. With gratitude and thankfulness, we come and we are content. And then we experience life that is truly life. And we get to really experience that when we follow these principles that Paul is laying out for the church, for the individual believers on how to live with contentment. In a world that has absolutely lost contentment, I'm telling you, people will be attracted to you and me and those that are living with contentment, that are fine at the very basic of the, of the Maslow hierarchy of needs, that we would be able to find contentment simply with food and clothing and understand that God is providing everything that we need. And so when we think about the view on money and we look at what God's view is on money, the baseline is this. We live with contentment and we do nothing for our selfish gain. And I know that's a hard message, but it's so vital that we understand that, that we should be a people of contentment. And I'm telling you, the church will grow as people who are living in so much worry and so much anxiety and so much greed will see people who are simply content with the God of the universe providing for their simple need and providing everything for our enjoyment. So let me pray for you on that. Heavenly Father, we pray for uh, this redeemed body. No matter where we are, uh, whether we're here locally or we're away, Lord, will you help us to experience contentment this week? Will you help us to understand that you provide everything for our enjoyment and because of that, we come with gratitude and thankfulness. But then after gratitude and thankfulness, we do good works. We're generous with our time and our treasure and our talents that we give away what you have provided for us, Lord Jesus. Help us to be people who uh, are just so thankful and so grateful for what you are providing. Help us to understand that we came into this world with nothing and we leave with nothing. But in the meantime, everything belongs to you. And we simply, simply, we simply uh, are stewards of what you gave us. And Lord, so because of that, we are able to live with contentment, which brings life, true life. And so Lord, we're so thankful that you provided that for us. 
Thank you for saving us by dying on the cross for us to provide everything that we need for us. You're a good, good Father, and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, we love you guys. Again, we'll be coming out with some announcements about Thanksgiving and Christmas and other things happening in the church, but we love you, and you can find us at redeem.church. See you next week.